Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi there, this is Martina Navratilova. Uh, hi, I'm Mats Wilander. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. And I am David Law. I haven't been on this show for a while. Uh, I'm normally on it uh, most other weeks, but I'm not in Paris at the moment. Somebody who is, though, is Catherine Whittaker of Eurosport. Catherine, uh, it has been another full day. We've had you speaking to Mats Valanda. We're going to be hearing about that later. Uh, we've had you speaking to Victoria Azarenka. She's going to be on the show. Uh, but first of all, how's it been? Weather's still all right it has been exhausting today for for me and for the british eurosport team with three brits in action varying degrees of success which we'll talk about in due course but the weather has been a lot less punishing sort of very pleasant 23 degrees and a little bit of breeze really so that's a merciful relief but uh yeah it's been it's been a busy one let's put it that way it has, and it, and it involved Andy Murray playing a tennis match and winning it. Now, on the face of things, world number one winning a tennis match, not that big a deal. However, this felt like a big deal to me. What did it feel like to you? Yeah, it felt like a big deal, and the way he did it, and the fact that, you know, I was sat in the commentator's cafe watching bits of that. I was up there for, for, the, for the worst Andy Murray parts of the match for the first and the second sets and after the second set lots were predicting that he would go on and lose and predicting it pretty confidently and the signs weren't great the body language was all over the place and then somehow he found something he clicked into some kind of gear now the body language didn't completely 100% improve he didn't you know uh, transform into a different person out there but he definitely found some gears to crank through and that's what he's been unable to do consistently recently so I'm not saying necessarily this is the big click into form that Andy Murray is searching for only time will tell we'll have to see how he fares against uh, Klijan next but it's significant it's significant those two really solid sets were big for him and the fact that he looked like he was having fun in that fourth set he was trying different things Fabrice Santoro asked him about that in the on-court interview after the match and Murray joked and he said yeah I learned that from you Fabrice you were one of my favorite players uh, before and 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 I was having fun out there I was trying to try different things on the court and I think that's significant the fact that we're seeing a more confident Andy Murray and Andy Murray that's enjoying his tennis a little more than perhaps we've seen of late incidentally David if you can hear uh, a little bit of German in the background of this tennis podcast it's because Boris Becker is sat next to me having a very important looking phone call in German so if, if you can overhear a bit of Germanic background noise it is the dulcet tones of Mr Boris Becker 
Oh, fantastic. Uh, so Andy Murray has has managed to, to get through a win. Um, I think that that really bodes well for him making proper progress now. I mean, uh, about midway... You tried to the, change the, your prediction, David, oh God, and yeah, we're not yeah, having yeah. it. Well, midway through the third set, I did request uh, you know, <laughs> no. whether I could change my, my mind about him not reaching the quarterfinals because, to me, the, there's nothing wrong with Andy Murray's game. I mean, it, it, it's fine. It, he hey, well, I've predicted, like I've predicted Songa's going to reach the quarterfinals and he's currently two sets to love down, David, so that's not looking great. Well, that feels, makes me feel better about putting uh, Alexander Zverev into the semi-finals then. Oh. So... You're not alone there, though. Plenty did that. I was so disappointed in him today, but probably not as disappointed as he was in him, himself. The first question impressed was, uh, you know, what was the story of that match? What happened out there? And he played. He said, "I played like S H I T." That's what happened out there. It was a pretty entertaining response, and basically tells you everything you need to know about that match and about Alex Verev other than the fact that Fernando Vidasco played very well and I have to say I thought the fact that the match was hung over from yesterday due to poor light would favour Zverev because I thought that he was the stronger mentally Vidasco traditionally hasn't been brilliant at putting together back-to-back good performances on consecutive days but he was really impressive today and Zverev was flat and all over the place and yeah pretty impotent really today it was such a shame because he's promised so much from Rome I, I did sort of say that though in the preview show didn't I that that might happen anyway moving did on um, no, I didn't. Simon Briggs I certainly sort of, didn't sorry I Simon sort of said, I sort of said that he'd be in the semi-finals but anyway um, Joe Conta very different story to Andy Murray and yet she looked so good for a set and ended up going out in the first round to Suwe Shui wasn't it she only lost 10 points in that first set. She was awesome. I was trooping down to the flash interview spot after the first set because I thought the second set might go by so, so quickly. So after the 6-1 first set, which was by in a blink of an eye, I was getting calls from the producer saying, we should just go down there because this could be, you know, a 15, 20-minute set. And then suddenly she's in the thick of a match. Then suddenly she's in a tie break. And then suddenly she's in a third set. And then suddenly she's lost it. And look, Suwe say is a smart, crafty tennis player and she figured Joe Conter out today. She unlocked the cheat codes and she really played a great second and third set. But Joe Conter didn't have a plan B. You know, Sue say figured her out, upped her game and Conter didn't have an answer to that. And she started to look, particularly in that third set, quite ragged around the edges. We're used to seeing her having this laser-like focus, this incredible ability to stay in the moment, stay present, as they call it, put disappointing shots and points behind them and move immediately on. And it was slightly more sort of just disappointment and frustration showing in Conter, a little more gesticulating towards the box. I'm not saying that means that we're going to return to Conter of old. I just mean that I think this one this defeat as much as she plays it down in press because I think that's just something she needs to do as a coping mechanism I do think this one's going to hurt Is that Boris Becker recording the German version of the tennis podcast in the background? If it is then it looks like it might be highly entertaining (laughs) I've no way I I don't speak enough German to tell you what on earth is, is being said next to me 
but it is definitely Boris Becker, and he is definitely next to Catherine Whittaker, as we record, so, you know, a bit of an added extra, or sort of like a, a kind of semi-guest on the show. Anyway, um, other matches of note that, that caught my eye, Nick Kyrgios had a very, very good win over Philip Kohlschreiber today, didn't he? Straight set. Yeah, he was great. Tricky draw. No one's talking about him because of what a rocky lead-up he's had. Uh, suffered a little bit with injury, suffered more so with sort of... Well, just personal issues. His granddad died and he found that hard to cope with. And, and just also the, very understandably, of course, and, and, and the fact that that meant that he had to return home to Australia for the funeral. Obviously, it completely interrupted his clay court season and has completely affected him emotionally. So fewer people talking about him than they perhaps would have. But he was very impressive and professional today against a very tricky clay court opponent in Philip Kohlschreiber. And his good mate, uh, his good mate, uh, Tanasi Kokonakis. Is oh, back. I love Kokonakis. I love him, and, and it, I, I was worried that he had come back too quickly. Not on the basis of any evidence, just on the basis of the fact that he definitely rushed his comeback for the Olympics last year. He so wanted to play in Rio. I don't think he was ready, and I think that ended up setting him back another six months or so. He had to have further surgery, but. The signs were good today. Obviously, a horrible draw for him to have to play Nishikori first round. But he got the first set. He was moving well. He looked so motivated. He looked so happy to be on the court. And yes, Nishikori came back and won. But I've seen enough to be confident that this is Tanasi Kokonakis properly coming back to where he belongs on the big stage in tennis. Hooray! I really like Tanasi Kokonakis, and that's fantastic news. Now, not so nice news has come because of the behaviour of, I, I believe, a French qualifier who lost in qualifying. Is that right? Called Maxima Hamu. Is that is? Am, am I saying that right? What what, what has he been getting? Maxime Hamu. Yes, he's been sort of. I don't know what the word for it is, David. I don't know if there's an official term for what on earth he was doing during a live interview with a colleague of mine, my, my counterpart, if you like, at French uh, Eurosport, Mélie Thomas, fantastic reporter. She really is endlessly professional and good at what she does. And what she had to endure during this interview was horrifying, really, absolutely horrifying. She was leered at she was grabbed he attempted to kiss her and everybody seemed to find this the most hilarious thing ever and I think that's the most horrifying thing about it the reaction and look I know I say this a lot and it's no different point really to the one I made about Nastasi and Joe Conter and what Anne Kjotovong had to go through so I won't labour the point but this was a particularly extreme example of something that happens to female reporters females in broadcasting females everywhere frankly but obviously I can only speak from broadcasting experience every single day now look I'm not saying that anything like that has happened to me thank goodness and I hope it never does but variations on a theme variations on that theme have happened and have happened to plenty of female reporters I know and it's really interesting that when something a version that extreme happens, everyone is up in arms. You see everyone going, oh my goodness, I can't believe this has happened. And yet other female reporters go, yeah, that's awful, but that's not unexpected. That's not a surprise, really. And that that 
is the saddest thing about it that this is happening all the time and it takes such an awful example of it for everyone to take notice and realise this is probably something that shouldn't be happening but alas it's not that unusual I'm so impressed by her response speaking out because I wouldn't blame her at all for wanting to just stick her head under a duvet and saying this isn't what I want people to know me for this isn't what I want to get headlines for leave me alone I don't want to talk about it but she gave a great comment to the Huffington Post she said if I hadn't been live on the telly I would have punched him and I think that sums up her professionalism for carry on go- carrying on going and the her no-nonsense approach to it all and uh, yeah it's not it's not what I want to be talking about but at least it shines a light on a prevalent issue it does, and, and I'm also very encouraged by the response of the, the French Tennis Federation, which has uh, decided to remove the accreditation of this Absolutely, man, uh, I'll second the that. The, the response has been swift, it's been decisive, it's been impressive, and I'm really pleased to be able to say that. Yeah, absolutely right. Now, happier news. Victoria Azarenka, as I'm sure many of you know, is is returning to the sport. She's going to be back at Wimbledon. I think she's playing in Mallorca shortly before that. And she's actually been at Roland Garros in Paris. And Catherine had a chance to speak to her for Eurosport. She's not even playing the tournament. So what was she doing there? I'm here actually for a completely different reason than uh, than a, a French Open. Um, I was here at my best friend's wedding and I just wanted to come and say hello to, to a few of my friends and um, just see everyone. And um, so I don't have to say so many hellos at Wimbledon. Uh, but it's been, it's been great. I, it's it's such, a, um, such a relaxed atmosphere for me. I still... My coach came and he wanted me to train, so I'm still training a little bit, but it's just easier atmosphere. I don't have to book a practice score or anything like this, but it's good to be back. You've obviously been away from the sport for a wonderfully happy reason, the birth yeah. of your first son, yeah. Leo. Talk me through what the last year of your life has been for you. Lots of players talk about having a completely different perspective on their tennis careers as a result of that experience. Has that been the case for you? Um, definitely, and uh, I didn't realise... Uh, the perspective uh, part before but when it happened to me I really started to understand it more uh, more and connect and it's definitely the best uh, thing that ever happened to me and uh, for me being able to still uh, do what I love is to play tennis with my son you know traveling it's it's something really exciting and uh, it's um when I go on the court, I, I definitely have a different emotions. Um, it's more fun. There's a good balance between my my life and my work. So um, I'm I'm really happy. You've obviously been working incredibly hard in Minsk. You look in incredible shape. When you come here, when you see the door, when you see how open it is, I know you're making your comeback on the grass. Is there any part of you that thinks maybe I could have had a chance here if I'd come back a bit sooner? Um, I don't think about it that way. Do I think that I have a chance? Um, I think so. I think um, I, I could play. I, I could play just fine. But I wanted to be uh, mentally ready to uh, to go out there and grind, you know, and and be in the routine. So for me right now, I think already being in Wimbledon, it's it's um, before than I wanted to. So um, I, I felt ready, but I don't want to. I didn't want to rush it. And I know you're not sticking around in Paris for too long, but when you go back home, will you be tuning into all the matches? Will you be watching closely? Uh, I'll watch a little bit. Um, I'm so busy usually when I'm home that I don't have uh, that much time to. And with me training, preparing for grass season, I think I should, I should focus on that for now. Well, very best of luck. We can't wait to see you back on the tour, and thanks for speaking to us. Thank you so much. Thank you.
So there's Catherine talking to Victoria Azarenka. Fabulous to have her back in the sport. And, and you know, she just seems ready. She seems ready to return so quickly. I, I'm really surprised that, that she's able to, that she wants to. But, you know, wonderful to have her back. She sounds in, in great form. And, and uh, you were saying on the show a couple of days ago that, that she looks in great shape too. So hopefully it's a, a successful comeback for her. Now, tomorrow, the defending champion Novak Djokovic on Wednesday will be back on court in his second round match against Joao Sousa on the Susan Longlong court his coaching combination with Andre Agassi of course is still pretty much the talk of the town and we wanted to know what Mats Valanda thought about it when he first heard so Catherine caught up with him and asked Mats Valanda what he first thought when he heard about the coaching relationship between Andre Agassi and Novak Djokovic. I think disbelief because uh, we haven't seen Andre Agassi around the, the professional circuit for so long. Um, he doesn't come to the Grand Slams very often. Um, and I'm not sure, I can't imagine he wants to travel uh, the length of time that you have to, to make it a successful relationship. But now that he's there, it makes, makes a lot of sense. And I know you watched Djokovic's opening match yesterday against Marcel Granollers. First of all, what did you make of his performance? I thought he played well. I mean, he's a, Granollers is a tough, tough opponent. He makes you play a lot of different shots and, and he tries ex- extremely hard. Um, I think it's, it was interesting to see how Djokovic was going to uh, react to being the defending champion. I thought that he looked really relaxed. Um, I thought that the crowd was really into it and they gave him um, nearly a standing ovation afterwards and and I think that uh, they are really in love with Novak Djokovic and he gives them so much back these days. And in terms of what Agassi is bringing to his game, is it too early yet to tell? Did you see any differences either to him mentally or technically in what he was doing out there? Um, not technically for sure. I think mentally he was um, very relaxed and uh, it looked like he was having fun. Um, more fun than I've seen him have for the, during the last couple of months. And I think what, what Agassi is going to bring is, is it's the bigger picture. And I think all these super coaches, they're not, they're not really interested. Of course, the end result, they're interested in winning Grand Slams or whatever, number one in the world. But, but it's the bigger picture. And I think the bigger picture means that you show up and you play the guy who's across the net and you do that as well as you can whether you're playing good or bad it doesn't really matter and I think I think Andy Murray I think Novak Djokovic maybe after a while they get caught up in in trying to be the best player all the time and compare that to Federer Nadal who I think just play their opponent and I think Agassi uh, can really bring that I think Ivan Lendl brings that to Murray I think Boris Becker brought that to Novak Djokovic and then when you do that, you have great results. You talked about the fun factor. Novak talked about the fact that Agassi was his childhood hero growing yeah. up. Do you think there's an element of Novak wanting to show off to Agassi on the court there? He's sort of peacocking, trying to impress him. I, absolutely. I mean, I think all these players, they wanted. there's nothing. I can't imagine being anything better than winning a match and then going into the locker room and then having a chat to Andre Agassi, who's either going to take you down completely on the ground and say, yeah, well, hold on, you did this, this, this wrong, or this, this, this well. Uh, and uh, there's so much respect uh, from these Federer, Nadal, Mario and Djokovic for us older players actually which we are I think we're all surprised in a way but but they've then have grown up watching guys on TV 
Agassi played a similar game to Novak Djokovic and I think that as well would make a difference. And in terms of what you think Agassi will be like as a coach, what kind of approach you think he'll take? We don't feel like we know Agassi that well these days. We've barely seen that much of him. Can you give us a bit of an insight into how you expect him to be in those locker room scenarios? Well, I think, yeah. I mean, I don't know Andrew that well, but I've seen the transformation. I played him when he was really young and he was basically just a ball striker. He was a showman uh, and he was having fun, but but when you read his book, maybe he wasn't having fun. But image is everything was, was sort of the, the, uh, the slogan. Then he changed and then suddenly he started playing tennis and ball striking wasn't as important. Maybe with the help of Brad Gilbert. Uh, and I think that Agassi is a very deep guy. He's very philosophical. Boris Becker is very philosophical, as you know. So, and I think Novak Djokovic is very philosophical. So I would think they talk about tennis a lot. I think they talk about tactics, how to behave, not necessarily technique, and I think they talk about what happens off the court a lot. And how do you think Agassi will get along with, of course, the other member of Djokovic's coaching team, Pepe Imaz, his sort of spiritual peace and love coach? How do you think that's going to work? Agassi is pretty spiritual, I think. I mean, when you hear his speeches and his farewell speech at the U.S. Open, um, he was in tears, the crowd was in tears, and, and I think just the fact that he's been touched with, with so many kids through his foundation and through the schools that he's building for these underprivileged kids, I think that he's in touch with, again, the bigger picture and reality. Uh, and um, I think that he fits in with, with the uh, love and joy and happiness Tennis Academy as well. And just finally, Mats, in terms of Djokovic's chances here of defending his title, would you put him as the second favourite behind Nadal? I would put him as the second favourite together with Stan Wawrinka. I think that Novak Djokovic mentally is there. I think he's ready. I think he's played well enough. I question physically if he can last because he has played a lot of tennis. He hasn't necessarily won a lot of matches, but when you're on the road, it's really difficult to get stronger. And when, we, when you watch Nadal, that's what he did last year. He got stronger. He moves better. And I think Djokovic sometimes looked like he's a little weaker than he used to be. Nearly looks like he stumbles sometimes and he sort of leans over. So I'm not sure physically that he can handle it. Fascinating, Joe. Fascinating to get your opinions, Mats. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with Legends of the Game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. So there's Catherine talking to the great Mats Velander on Eurosport. He's on their coverage throughout the tournament and uh, always worth listening to as far as I'm concerned, Catherine. And isn't it interesting to get the insight and to hear the enthusiasm of greats like Velander talking about another super coach back in the game? Oh, I mean, I could have carried on with that interview all day. The well is so deep in terms of Mats Velander's insights in, into these things. And as I said to him in that interview, I don't know Andre Agassi at all. Not many of us do, really, because he has been so absent from tennis for the past few years. And I would love to be a fly on the wall in those locker room conversations that he's now having with Novak Djokovic and I think speaking to Mats Verlander about what that's like or that's likely to be like is probably as close to to being a fly on the wall as as I'm ever going to get so I I felt hugely lucky to be able to get those thoughts and I could have carried on all day but I had to run I think what I was what I had to run to was running down to the flash position to be ready for to potentially interview Joe Conter after a quick straight sets win and that ended up just not happening it's been all sorts of um, false starts and wild goose chases and all sorts of things happening on day three of Roland Garros David it's been very interesting <laughs> it has as always uh, now day four Wednesday oh no Thursday in fact of course I don't even know what day of the week it is anymore uh, Venus Williams will start play on Philippe Chatrier court she's up against Karumi Nara then it's Garbinia Muguruza against Annette Contevet a match uh, I think could be really good because Contevet is a, a fine up and coming player from uh, it's is it Estonia it's Estonia it is Estonia it, yeah, yeah. Uh, Robin Harsa is up against Rafael Nadal. Uh, we've got Luca Puy against uh, Thomas Bellucci. There's some other great matches all around the grounds. Petra Kvitova's comeback continues against Bethany Matek-Sands. There's Grigor Dimitrov against Tommy Robredo. I think that could be a good match. Robredo beat Dimitrov a few weeks back in uh, Marrakesh. But I've got, I've got a feeling that Dimitrov is not too far away, actually, from, from putting it all together. Whenever I ever said that before. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's certainly like a broken record. Incidentally, his first round win uh, a couple of days ago, in which he was very impressive, I might add. That was his first win here since 2013. Can yeah, you believe that? Can you? I, I, when I saw that, I, I couldn't believe it. And only his second ever win. I mean, nuts. He, he should have been in multiple 
quarterfinals here, probably a semi. He, he, he's perfectly happy on clay. I don't think he'd say it's his best surface, but he's perfectly happy. He slides, he moves well, he can adapt his game to it. I couldn't believe that stat. And yeah, I think he could be challenged tomorrow, but I was impressed enough to think that he will have what it takes against Robredo. Maybe this is the year. Cici <laughs> Bellis takes on Kiki Burtons. That'll be a good one. And how about this one? Ivo Karlovic against Horacio Zabaios. Now, they faced each other in Melbourne a few months ago. It ended 22-20 in the fifth and deciding set to Ivo Karlovic. So there we are. Let's see just if we can a, get another just replay a standard Evo match. Yeah, standard Evo match. And finally, uh, just a quick note, Aliash Bedenay is up against Yuri Vesely. Now, another good win in the first round for Bedenay, but he's been in the, the headlines again, hasn't he? And for me, a slightly uncomfortable interview. I, was, I, I, was, I, I find myself a little bit bamboozled by Aliash Bedenay just at the moment. I don't quite understand... I don't understand where he's going with his his whole who he wants to play for because now he's he, after all the upset about not being able to play for Great Britain and being absolutely devastated. Now he's talking as if maybe he might fancy playing Olympics for Slovenia. Yeah. Uh, now, look, I, I'm by no means defending what Alex Bedney said yesterday, but I, I do just want to say in his sort of weak defence some mitigation those words were slightly put in his mouth in the press conference yesterday he was specifically asked about the Olympics and whether that was a particular desire and priority with him he was sort of led down that path with saying you know sort of yes I would consider playing for he was basically saying yes I would love to play the Olympics and and not ruling out, if you like, the the possibility of doing so for Slovenia if that were the only route. Now, look, he still he still didn't deny it, and he still completely allowed himself to be led down that path. And no comments were misreported. I'm just saying sometimes context is important. And he didn't just sit down and say, "Yeah, I'm thinking of playing for Slovenia again," and I don't really care about my British nationality before. And all I want to do is be able to play Davis Cup in the Olympics. And if I have to go to Slovenia for that, then so be it. It wasn't like that, but it was pretty silly, really. What he said. Look, I like Aliash Bedney. It's difficult not to. I think he's a nice, sweet guy I think he genuinely has wanted to play Davis Cup and represent Great Britain I just think now he's a little bit confused by it all by confused by what he wants I think it's all been such a long arduous journey for him and he's invested so much of his happiness in it I think he's just confused and a bit lost about it all and he's saying things without thinking them through or realising the comp- the consequences you know when my on court post-match interview with him yesterday after a fantastic victory over Ryan Harrison I, I asked him you know what the turnaround was between the the second set which he won really convincingly and the third set which he lost and he said oh I, I thought Ryan Harrison was tanking in that second set and he said the same to Russell Fuller in his BBC interview and I just thought wow that's quite a heavy accusation to be making Aliash you know perhaps not the best advised comment but yeah I, d- I just think he doesn't necessarily think things through brilliantly or understand what the consequences might be I think he means well I do I just think he seems a bit lost about the whole issue of his 
nationality and representation at the moment, and I don't know what to make of it at all. Slightly, slightly refreshing to hear somebody be quite as candid as that and uh, as much of an open book. But anyway, I know exactly what you mean. Catherine, uh, it's, it's, it's late in the evening now in Paris. I think it's time you went and got some, uh, some, some sleep, isn't it? Uh, some I mean, steak frites and then some sleep. Yeah, OK, fine. Steak frites, oh yeah, I'm going to have some of that as well. Anyway, Catherine, lovely to talk to you. Go and get some rest. Be back at it tomorrow on Eurosport. You'll be able to hear all the, and watch all of their coverage, of course, uh, all of day four of the, the French Open at Roland Garros. The same. Can the I just Telegraph. say one can... last thing, David, yeah, on, one last thing? On. I, I, I know we don't really do shout-outs because, you know, we're just not that kind of vibe, are we? But I do have to say a very quick hello to some tennis podcast listeners that I have bumped into around the grounds today and have said lovely, kind things. And it's just, sometimes I still can't believe that people actually listen. I find it very odd when real-life human beings stand in front of me and say, I listen to your podcast. I still find that odd and very, very touching. So I must say hello to Andy Furness, who works from Hawkeye, who says he listens to everything, and to Ian and Catherine, who live in Jersey and listen to all the podcasts and have come over here to the French Open from Jersey and do so every year because they love tennis so much and I think that's great it is so, so let me get this right people are actually listening to this yeah I know scarcely credible isn't it probably fewer once they read that you're on this one well, thanks a bunch. This <laughs> is delightful. Uh, Catherine Whitaker, I'll let that go. Uh, given that it's late, I'll assume it's just because of tiredness that you're insulting me. And, uh, yeah, do check out Simon Briggs' articles in The Telegraph, of course. Watch Catherine on Eurosport tomorrow. And uh, we'll be back with you with another tennis podcast just as soon as we can. There you go. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 